turn me down just a little bit. All right, Romans chapter number 6. Everybody come on in, stand to your feet, grab your Bible, grab your sword. It's hard to go to battle without a sword, amen? Bring your sword. We've got lessons. Uh, who's that? You've got lessons, Brother Johnny? All right. Anybody need a lesson? Raise your hand. We want to make sure you get a lesson. Tonight is going to be great. It's four pages, so we've got to hurry. Yeah, oh, yeah. Not oh, no, oh, yeah. We've got to go fast. Now, we're not going to rush through this. If we don't get done, we don't get done. We'll just get as far as we can, and then. but this is going to be great. How many of y'all have struggled with temptation before? How many of y'all would rather have more victory than what you have now? Tonight's great. The next few weeks are going to be an incredible boost uh, uh, to our confidence and knowing that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. We do not have to be victims. We are victors. We, I didn't say we are going to be victors. I said we are victors. Amen? All right. Romans 6. Romans 6. We'll read just a few verses and I'll let you sit down. And uh, if you have your pen in your hand, if you have your pen in your hand, we're going to come across a couple words in, in these next few verses that I want you to underline. If you have a Bible that you're allowed to underline in, I want you to underline it, okay? Romans 6, verse number 1. If everybody's found your spot, say amen. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And now, if you remember, the verses, the end of the chapter last week, Paul said, listen, where sin is, there's a lot more grace. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So we're, just keep that in mind as we go in this. So he's saying, so do we need to sin more so we can have more grace? What does he say? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? No. Underline no. Underline no in your Bible. Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. Therefore... We are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. What's this word? Knowing. Underline knowing. Underline knowing. What was the first word we underlined? What's the second word? Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him. That the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if he be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. What's verse 9? Knowing. Underline that word. So we have no knowing and knowing. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Say amen. amen. Death hath no more dominion over him. Father, thank you for your word, thank you for your goodness, thank you for your love, thank you for, uh, Lord, the truth that will set us free. God, I pray that you'll just strengthen us now. This is great. This is a great lesson, an exciting lesson. This is going to be a helpful lesson for me, for many people in this room. And God, I'll praise you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. You may be seated. Anybody come in late and need a lesson? Raise your hand if you need a lesson. Brother Johnny's got him in his hand all the way in the back. Family members, God help us, amen, here we go. Run back there, Johnny, uh, you know who it is, amen. Here we go. Anybody else need a lesson? Want to make sure you get one, I want you to follow with me, okay? All right, here we go. In the first part, in the first part, let's, let's, look, at the, let's look at the first two verses, the first two verses. What shall we say then? Now remember, now remember when you study in the Bible that there are no chapter and verses that separating truth, Okay? Those were put in the Bible that would make it, make it easier for you to study it and to memorize it. If that makes sense, say amen. In other words, when you come out of chapter number 5, you go right into chapter number 6. He's continuing this line of thought. He is saying, look, where, where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. So let's go right into chapter 6. He says, so what shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein. Now, why would he have to put that in this letter? Why did he put that here? Well, Paul seemed to anticipate the thinking of those in Rome. Now, from Romans 6 to Romans 8, Paul did, defended his doctrine of justification by faith, and he anticipated three objections. Now, we're going to answer in the next few chapters of Romans, we're going to answer these questions. Number one, if God's grace abounds when we sin, 
then let's just continue sinning so we might experience more grace. That's one we're going to cover. The second question, if we are no longer under the law, then we are free to live as we please. Now, there's a lot of people who think that. Because of false teaching and false preaching, there are some people that believe because of their eternal security, they can just do anything they want and live any way they want. That's not of God. That's not of God, and that's not biblical, and we're going to talk about that. This third question he anticipates, and we're going to answer, you have made God's law sinful. In other words, you're preaching something, you're, going to, you're just going to make it where everybody will do whatever they want to do. When you tell them they're not under law, but they're under grace, everybody's just going to be wide open, outlaws, and, and, and Paul says, no, that's not the deal, let's talk about it. So, with those three questions in mind, keep that in mind as we go into this study, all right? These objections prove that the readers do not understand either the law or grace. They were going to extremes, legalism on the one hand, that means they've got more rules than Jesus. How many of y'all have known people like that? Churches like that. They've got more rules than Jesus. They've got things there against everything in the world, and they don't have any Bible to back it up. Now, they, and they, I believe they've got good intentions at heart, but I think it really comes to a point of trying to control people and not letting Jesus and the Holy Spirit do his work. But legalism on one hand has got more rules than the Lord. But then on the other hand, you've got a crowd of people that's running around, shacking up, uh, living any old way they want to live. And they say, well, I professed a, 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 a salvation when I was a kid. I'm saved, but I'm just doing That's not it either. It's not more rules than Jesus, and then it's not no rules at all. There's got to be a balance in between law and grace, all right? And so that's what we're going to talk about. Uh, Christian living. Christian living depends on Christian learning. Say that with me. Christian living depends on Christian learning. Duty is always founded on doctrine. If Satan can keep a Christian ignorant, he can keep him impotent. In other words, powerless. Knowledge truly is power. See, that is why it is so important for people to learn the word. It is so important to come to Bible study. We're not just doing this so we can count heads and count numbers. I want you to be strong. When you leave this building, I want you to leave out of here soldiers. When you leave this building, I want you to leave out of here with more knowledge than you had before so that when the devil comes and tries to trip you up, you are stronger, you have more faith, you have more ability, and he can't do nothing about it. Say amen. Knowledge is power. People are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Listen. If all, I'm telling you, if all you get in your Christian walk and in your Christian life is a sermon on Sunday morning, you are very weak and anemic and prone to the devil's attacks. We need to learn. We need to study. Colossians 3.10 says this, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in what? Knowledge. Knowledge. All right, 2 Peter 3.18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Hosea 4, 6. My people are destroyed for a lack of because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee. Watch what it says. This is great, man. This is John 8. John 8, 31. Then said Jesus unto those Jews which believed on him, if ye continue in my word, that means to study, to live it, to apply it, to practice it. If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. Now read this with me. And ye shall, oh, 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 oh slow down. And ye shall know the truth. Ye shall know the truth. And the truth, what's the truth going to do for you? It will. It didn't say set free. It says make free. If you're set free, you can get caught again. If you're made free, you're free. Now, here's the point. Here's the point. How many times do we get in trouble? How many times do we get in a temptation? How many times do we get in a situation in our life and we fail and we fall and we trip up and we have issues in our life, we have problems, when the whole time we had the power to deal with it? I can't tell you how many times that I was watching my kids and one of the girls would say, well, I said, how'd you do that? Well, Daddy, it's on your phone too. It is? Yeah, let me show you. You can do it too. And then I'd see him do something else. I said, well, how'd you do that? They said, well, Daddy, it's on your phone too. Let me show you. I couldn't use it because I didn't. Christians are getting their eyes beat out. Not because God's not good. 
Not because they're not saved. Not because they don't have power. They don't know. They don't know. And when they don't know they have the power, when they don't know they have the ability, there's some things y'all don't know tonight that you're going to know tonight. When you leave here, you're going to be jacked up. Say amen. I'm serious. I'm excited. This is great stuff. What God has done for us and what God is doing for us, you need to know. You need to know. So three words that we talked about, know, knowing, and knowing. Paul is saying, listen, you need to know this. There, this is not, here's, here's the point I'm trying to make. This is not, the things that you're going to learn tonight, this is not stuff that God is going to do, or this is not stuff that, that we've got to make happen. This is fact. These things that we're going to learn of what God's done for us on the cross and what we are, it is fact. We've just got to know it, believe it, and apply it. Amen? And you'll see what I'm talking about. You'll see what I'm talking about. All right? Let's move on. Let's move on. Uh, I, say it with me. I want to know. Oh, come on, everybody. I want to know. I want to know. What do we need to know? Verse 3. Verse 3. Know ye not? Know ye not that so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now if he be dead from, excuse me, if he be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him, for in that he died, he died unto sin once, but now, now see that, he died unto sin. And I'll explain that in just a second. Uh, death hath no more dominion over him, or he liveth, uh, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. All right, now, number one, number one, uh, getting victory in our life, getting victory in our life over sin, over temptation, over the old man that, that we have to fight every day, uh, over self. Uh, first, there's a fact that we must realize. Say that with me. There's a, we must realize. A, write this down. First, in verses 3 through 5, Paul gives us a symbolic example. He gives us a symbolic example. He tries to explain what has really taken place in your life when you got saved, and he uses baptism, he uses baptism to illustrate it. Uh, how many of y'all ever seen somebody got baptized? How many of y'all have ever been baptized? All right. Now, here's the deal. Baptism means two things. There's two things that, that we see in baptism. Paul illustrates it, and the Greek word has, for baptizio has two basic meanings. First, there's a literal meaning. So write that in your notes. There is a literal meaning. In other words, you dip in, you dip in all the way completely, immerse. Immerse means all the way under. That's why we don't sprinkle. We believe in baptism by immersion. We believe in going all the way under because of what it typifies. Because of what it symbolizes. It symbolizes the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Have y'all ever gone to a funeral and seen somebody lay a body on the top of the ground and sprinkle a little dirt over it? That's weird if you have. Where, what did they do? What did they do? And I'm not, I'm not being smart. I'm just saying, what, what do they do? Six foot under. You go all the way under and you cover all the way up. Because that's a burial. That's a burial. When we go all the way under the water, you go all the way under. You don't sprinkle. You go all the way because of what it means. It means the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. All right? So there's a literal meaning. Then, then B, or number two, write this down. It not only means a literal meaning, it means a figurative meaning. A figurative meaning. In other words, to be identified with. To be identified with. Now watch this. Before we go into this, when Jesus came in human form, God, man, Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus in human form, he came and he walked down the riverbank, he saw John Baptist baptizing in the river Jordan, he walks out there and he says, I want you to baptize me. Now, that's a little weird because he had no sin, he had no sin, John was baptizing the baptism of repentance. In other words, when they come out to be baptized, they had to repent. They had to change their mind about their situation. They had to repent of their sin. 
their, their lifestyle, their behavior. Are y'all with me on that? So this was kind of weird, Jesus coming and being baptized. But see, he was, not, he was not repenting of sin because he was sinless. He was a spotless lamb of God. So why did, he, why did he get baptized? What was the purpose of Jesus being baptized? The same reason that we are baptized in that he was identifying himself with sinful man. The holy spotless lamb of God, the perfect God-man was identifying himself with sinful man. And he did that on the cross when he took the sin of this world upon him and he died for us. Is that, y'all with me? Now, when we are baptized, when we are baptized after we're saved, we are identifying ourselves with with Christ. Do y'all see the difference? When Jesus came, he had to come and identify himself with us, our humanity, our failures, our weaknesses, our, our, our issues. And he took the sin of the world upon his back and died and rose again. And now he's the Savior of the world. And now we are baptized to identify ourselves with him. All right? So there is an identification here in this illustration. Now, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. It appears that Paul had both the literal and the figurative in mind in this paragraph. For he used the reader's experience of water baptism. Because you got to understand, he's writing to Christians here. He's not writing to non-Christians. He's writing to Christians. And, and probably, most likely, all of them had been baptized. So he's using that example to remind them of their identification with Christ through the baptism of the Holy Spirit. To be baptized into Jesus Christ, uh, we find, is the same as for by one spirit we are all baptized into one body. All right? There is a difference between water baptism and the baptism of the Spirit. you got to understand that. Uh, you don't get baptized uh, in the Spirit when you go under the water. You get that immediately when you're saved. God immerses you and puts you in. I need 15 people. Give me, no, give me 10 people. 10 people. 10 volunteers. Really quick. Really quick. 10 volunteers. Come on, guys. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7. I need two more. Three more. 8, 9, 10. All right. All right. All right, now y'all, y'all, y'all back up. Uh, I want you to come here for me. You can be right here. Harley, man, I like that Harley shirt. All right, all of y'all stand right over there. All of y'all stand right over there and bunch up. Hope you use your deodorant tonight. All right, quickly, quickly. All right, now, now, when we get saved, now, I know this is a weak illustration, but this is the church, all right? Only a, that's when y'all laugh. It's funny, okay? They're a little tight tonight, ain't they? All right. This is the church. This is the body of Christ. This All the believers on the earth is called the body of Christ and the church. Are y'all with me? There's the universal church and there's the local church. The universal church is everybody that's been saved. Every human being that's ever been saved, this is who they are. Well, when this sinner comes to Jesus Christ, the moment he accepts Christ as his personal Savior, he baptizes him or immerses him, he puts him into the body of Christ. The moment he gets saved, immediately, by the Holy Spirit's power, he makes him one of them. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? The moment we get saved, the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. When we get into the water, we are telling everybody out here about what God did in here. Does that make sense? All right, now, watch this. Good job, guys. Good job. Good job. Hurry, run, run, run. Got three more pages. Here we go. Great job. Now, watch this. When we are baptized in the Spirit is when the moment we get saved. Now, there's also, I don't want to confuse you right now, but later on we're going to study and learn the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit. The moment I get saved, I'm baptized in the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost comes in me, and then He puts me in the body of Christ. He puts me in the community of believers. But then, every day of my life, I need to ask God to fill me with his power. Fill me with his spirit. Fill me with his touch. Why? I need his power to accomplish his will in my life. Does that make sense? And we'll study that later. But as we, as we read, as we read, you see the difference between water baptism and the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When a sinner trusts Christ, he is immediately born into the family of God and receives the gift of the Holy Spirit. 
A good illustration of this is the household of Cornelius in the book of Acts. And when they heard Peter preach, they believed on Christ, and immediately they received the Holy Spirit, and then afterwards they were uh, water baptized. Now, the basic truth that Paul is teaching is the believer's identification with Christ in death, burial, and resurrection. Just as we are identified with Adam in sin and condemnation, so we are now identified with Christ in righteousness and justification. Jesus Christ not only died for our sins, but he also died unto sin, and we died with him. Now, write this down as uh, uh, my, my helpers come. Uh, spiritual, we see a symbolic example, and now we see a spiritual explanation. A spiritual explanation. All right, write that down. Come on out here where they can see all right, all right, this is Sinner Sam, all right, this is everybody that's ever born, from the moment you're born, this is what you are, you are, you are a human being with a fallen nature, a sin nature, you have something on the inside of you that wants you to sin, that will lure you to sin, that will convince you to sin. That you have to fight every day of your life. You've got to fight the flesh. Now, there's something you need to understand. The human body is neutral. The human body is neutral. For instance, this, this book, this book is neutral. It's neutral. I can use it for good and preach the gospel. I could take it and I could bust him right in the face and use it for evil. It's neutral. Your human body is neutral. Now, when we use the terminology, the flesh, how many of y'all have heard me say that before? we got to fight the flesh every day. It's not talking about your physical human body. It's the part of you that you were born with that causes you to sin, the old nature. And the moment you get saved, the old nature's in control. The old nature leads you around. You are a slave to the old nature. You are in bondage to the old nature. You have no control. You have to do whatever he tells you to do. You follow wherever he tells you to go. You try to do right. It don't last. You try to do good. It don't last. Why? Because there's somebody in control. Does that make sense? Say amen. Now, what we're going to illustrate tonight is what Paul is trying to teach you and me. That Jesus did something on the cross the moment that you got saved. The moment you got saved, Jesus did something for you that we need to identify with. Now, let's look at this. All right, stand right here, guys. Stand right here. All right, look in your notes. Look in your notes. Let's look at the spiritual explanation. Look what he says in verse number 6. Knowing this, that our what? Say it with me. That our, all right, that's him. That's him. That our old man is crucified with him. With who? Christ. That the body of sin might be destroyed. Now underline that word destroyed because we're going to learn something about that word. It's an amazing thing. It's an amazing thing about that word. That the body of sin might be destroyed that henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is what? Freed from sin. Now if we be dead with Christ we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more. Death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now, this is what took place. This is what took place. I am in Christ and identified with him. Therefore, whatever happened to Christ happened to me. When he died, I died. Now, we know we're not talking about physically because we're walking in the flesh. We're talking about the old man. The old man. All right? When he arose... I arose in him. Because of this living union with Christ, the believer has a totally new relationship to sin. Now, here's the deal I want you to get about that word destroyed. A tremendous fact is introduced here in this verse. In verse number, uh, let's see, where did I read that? Verse number uh, six. Verse number six. Uh, the old man was crucified with Christ so that the body need not be controlled by sin. The word destroyed in Romans 6, 6 does not mean annihilated. It means rendered inactive, made of no effect. Now, this is what this means. This man is in bondage. This man's a sinner. But one day, the Holy Spirit comes. The Holy Spirit comes. The sinner, 
the sinner hears about salvation and grace and he bows his head and he trusts Christ as his Savior. He's been in bondage his whole life. But then the Holy Spirit comes in the power of Jesus' name and he sets him free. Wow. He renders the old man inoperative. In other words, he no longer can control him. But the word destroyed doesn't mean he's annihilated. I wish to God it did. Amen? It just means he no longer has control. He no longer has control. All right? Now watch. Stay, stay there. Now watch this. He is dead to sin. I am crucified with Christ. Now watch this. If a drunk dies, he can no longer be tempted by alcohol because his body is dead to all physical senses. He cannot see the alcohol. He cannot smell it. He cannot taste it or desire it. In Jesus Christ, we have died to sin so that we no longer want to continue in sin. It didn't say we wouldn't sin. It said we would no longer want to continue in sin. We would no longer have that desire. We would desire to do right if we're truly saved. But we are not only dead to sin, we are also alive in Christ. We have been raised from the dead and now walk in the power of his resurrection. We walk in the newness of life. Galatians 2.20, I put it right there in your notes. I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Watch this. Sin and death have no dominion over Christ. We are in Christ, therefore sin and death has no dominion over us. Jesus Christ not only died for sin, but he died unto sin. What that means is this. He not only paid the penalty for sin, but he broke the power of sin. He broke the power of sin. In other words, there's no longer power. There's no longer power. So when we got saved, the moment we got saved, the Holy Ghost came and broke the power. Because just like Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross. Just like Jesus rose again, you have a brand new life. When you come up out of that water, it represents a newness of life. But it's not our life anymore. It's Christ living in us. So that the life I now live, I'm not living on my own ability. I'm not living on my own talent. I'm not living on my own uh, uh, understanding or knowledge. Now I'm living with the power of Christ. I'm living with the presence of Christ. I'm living with the touch of Christ. I'm living with the, are y'all with me? Isn't that great? I no longer am in, in control. I'm, in, I'm no longer in bondage. Now, now. But he don't go away. He's not annihilated. Watch what, the, watch what your notes say. Go back up there. And I put these in parentheses because this is probably one of the best facts you'll learn tonight. Listen, the word destroyed in Romans 6, 6 does not mean annihilated. It means, it means rendered inactive or made of no effect. In other words, now he can influence, but he can't control. Before you got saved, you had no say in the matter. Before you, had, before you got saved, you didn't have the ability to act right. You didn't have the ability to control your situation. Before you got saved, you were in bondage. That's why when we get, we can't get really all that upset about lost people that act like lost people. They don't have no other choice. They're just doing what lost people do. Amen? But the day you got saved, he not only broke the bondage, he not only broke the power over sin that had, that had the hold on you, he placed his Holy Spirit with you so that everywhere St. Sam goes, y'all hear what it said? It's not Sinner Sam no more. It's St. Sam. Some of y'all need to quit singing that song, I'm just an old rotten sinner. You're a saint. You're a saint. We keep singing these songs, I'm just a sinner. Saved. Now, it's a cool song and I like it, but we need to change that because it messes with your mentality. It gives you an excuse in the back of your mind and your subconscious to mess up. We're saints. We're powerful. We're God called and God's children with the Holy Ghost inside of us. Now here's what we got from now on. Every day of, every day of Sam's life, he's got both of these with him. Come on. Both of them, side by side. They're with him. Everywhere he goes, they both want influence. They both want to take charge. They both want control 
of Sam's life. In other words, this human flesh body, this bone and body, it can be used for good if he listens to this influence, or it can be used for bad if he listens to this influence. Now, this is where we're at. We don't understand the fact that he has no power anymore. We're living a life feeling defeated. Well, I just don't have no ability. Yes, you do. He's dead. He don't have no power over you anymore. Then why am I having so much trouble? Because you don't know it. You're like me with that stupid phone. There's so much stuff I could be doing with this phone, and I don't have a clue. You know why? Because nobody ever sat down and told you. But I'm telling you. How in the world could godly Christians who have the power of God, who had enough power to speak a word in the universe appear, and we're walking around in defeat. We're walking around and falling to temptation. And I said we, I said we, I said we, I said we. We all have, it, doesn't that sound crazy? Shall we sin that grace may back? God forbid. There's no sense in us walking around in sin. There's no sense in us walking around in defeat. There's no sense in us walking around in faith. Why? He don't have no power no more. But we don't realize it. How many of y'all have ever heard of how they train an elephant? How they train an elephant. Elephant's powerful. I mean, there's just, when they get grown, they're so massive and they're so strong and they're so powerful. Man, they can walk through this build and not even stop. But they take a baby elephant. They take a baby elephant and they put a clamp and a chain around their foot. And they stake it down so that the point that that baby elephant cannot move because of that chain. And that baby elephant will fight and a fight and fight and fight and try to get loose and try to get loose until it gives up and it realizes it can't. So that as, as it grows older and it gets older, when it gets older and it could snatch this building over, it'll pull against that chain and catch that chain. And in his mind, I can't do it. So he stops. And they can stake out a humongous elephant. They can stake it out with a little bitty chain that couldn't hold a dog. Because in his mind, he doesn't think he can. He doesn't have the knowledge that he's more powerful than that chain that's holding him. And so many Christians are walking around in this life, walking around in this world, living in such a way without power, without joy, without victory, simply because they don't know. They don't know. You have no idea the raging power that's in every one of you today the same exact power the bible says that the holy spirit moved on the face of the waters that creative power of god is in you and that hold that the devil had is broken but you've got to do something you got to know some things all right what do we do now then what do we do now say this with me i know Satan has no power. I am a victor. I have been set free. Now, how many of y'all know we're going to have trouble living that way? Okay. There's a few honest people in here. All right, now watch this. Have a seat right there, but don't go, don't go too far. Have a seat right there. Let's look at this. What does he say to do next? What does he say to do next? Look at verse number 11. Verse number 11. So, knowing that, knowing that we're free, knowing that our old man died with Christ on the cross, we've got a brand new man in us. It doesn't mean he was annihilated. It just means he has no power over us anymore. Unless we let him. Unless we listen to him. Unless we... Now, I'll get to that in a minute. I want you to see this. Number two. What's number two? Say it back to me. Come on, everybody. Number two, the, all right, so now we know some things. There's some things we know. We've been set free. Listen, we're not in bondage anymore. We're not without power anymore. We have the ability to live right and do right and be right and all that and defeat sin in our lives. So what do we do? Verse 11, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be, don't you like when the Bible uses country words, amen, likewise, Reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, 
but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, uh, reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Now, two things we got to do. Two things we got to do. A, write this down. Write this down. Accept the truth. Accept the truth. You'd be amazed at how many Christians have been forgiven, but they don't live like they've been forgiven. They live in defeat. They live in depression. They live in the mully grubs because they still feel guilty. They've been forgiven. God's washed it all away. God no longer holds it to their account, yet they walk around in defeat. Now, this is the same principle. He said, you've been set free. You've been delivered. You are more powerful than, than your flesh, and you, it has no control of you anymore. So what do we do then? We need to reckon it. We need to reckon. And it's not, it's not this. You want some pork chops? Well, I reckon. That's not what that means. That's not what this word means. Let's look at what this word means. It means this. The word reckon is a translation of the Greek word that is used 41 times in the New Testament. 19 times in Romans alone. It appears in Romans 4 where it is translated as count, reckon, or impute. In other words, it means to take into account or to calculate or to estimate. The word impute means to put to one's account. It is perhaps the best translation that we find. Now to reckon means to put to one's account. Simply, simply, in, in just simple terms, it means to believe that what God says in his word is really true in your life. Just believe it. Isn't it amazing that, that we can believe that we can believe that he died on the cross for us, but we can't believe enough to gain victory over sin? He says, he says, listen, I'm telling you you're powerful. I'm telling you you're delivered. I'm telling you you're set free. Because when, when, when Jesus died on the cross and you accepted his salvation, what happened to Jesus happened to your old man. He crucified it spiritually. Listen, it's gone. It has no power over you anymore. You are delivered. You're powerful. Now it's time for you to believe it. If you're forgiven, it's time to believe it. If you've been redeemed, it's time to believe it. Reckon it so. Reckon it so. Put it to your account. Not only that, that's not the only thing. That's not the only thing. But watch what he says in verse number 12. Likewise reckon, that's believe it, say it is so. Ye also, uh, likewise reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Christ Jesus. In other words, stand up, five. Right here, right here, right here. Right here. There's, there's two things you got to understand. There's two things you got to understand that's this taking place. You're not only dead to sin, he's weak in your life, but you're alive in Christ. It's not that just God cut you free. He gave you a helper. He gave you the Holy Ghost. Now, the life I'm living, I don't have to live it alone anymore. I don't have to live it in my ability anymore. I don't have to live it in my talent anymore. I'm living it with Christ in me. You know why? Because there's some people I can't love by myself. I don't know why you laughing. You got some too. Am I right? You got some things you just can't do on your own. There's some things you just can't let go on your own. There's some people you just can't forgive on your own. But I tell you what, when how I feel God right there. Now I'm telling you. But when you have the same one who was hanging on a cross, nailed to a cross, with his guts hanging out and blood pouring off of his face, and he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I'm telling you, when you have him on the inside of you, there is nobody you can't forgive. That's why, that's why Stephen, when he was in the midst of being stoned, when he was being stoned for preaching the gospel, he looked up and said, Father, lay not this sin to their charge. That wasn't him doing it. That was Jesus doing it in him. Hallelujah. So tell me what you can't do. Tell me how you can't live the Christian life. Tell me that there's something that God's asking you to do that you can't do. Huh? If you've been delivered and you've been empowered 
I've been crucified with Christ. My old man is dead. My old man, he's, listen, he's been rendered inoperative. He, he's been rendered, are y'all with me? Now I live my life in Christ. Christ in me. You can't just do one. You got to believe in both. You can't believe God just took something bad away. You got to believe God put something good there. Amen. Powerful. All right, you can see. Don't go nowhere. All right, watch this. I'm having fun. How about y'all? It's good, ain't it? Let not sin. First he says reckon. Then in verse 12 he says let not. In other words, God's going to go so far in this deal. But then he's going to expect you to do something. Isn't it amazing that we want to sit back and expect God to do everything? But God's not going to do what he's commanded us to do. There is nothing that God can't do, but there are some things God won't do. And those things are the things he's commanded us to do. Does that make sense? First he says reckon, believe it, believe it. Then he says this, let not. Now we've got to step up. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Now watch this. We not only need to accept the truth, we need to act upon the truth. We need to act upon what we believe. It doesn't do any good just to believe something. That belief needs to turn into action. Amen? I, I remember when I was a little big kid. I'm talking about floaty kid. Floaties on the arms. Whatever that age that is before we learn how to swim. I remember we was at a, a, a motel one time. Dad took a couple days off and took us all, and that was the highlight, man. You got to swim in a motel pool. Say amen. That was the deal. And we had them floaties on, and Dad was standing there. He said, come on, in the deep end. Come on, I got you. Uh -uh. Come on, I promise I got you. I got you. Now, see, you got to understand, he's a prankster. He won't always get you. Are you all with me? I got you. Come on. Come on, I got you. Now, there come a point that I had to believe him. There come a point that I had to believe him. Then, because of what I believed, I jumped. But I never jumped till I believed. But I tell you this, every time I believed, I jumped. You got to have them both. Because you won't get anywhere. You won't have victory unless you act upon it. You need to start acting like you're victorious. You need to get your head up. Listen, bow your chest out and walk outside this building and say, Devil, you had it. You ain't getting me no more. I'm a victor. I'm not going to be. I am one. I have God in me. What are you doing? You're not acting cocky. You're not acting arrogant. You're acting upon what you believe. Did I not read it? Did I read it? Do you believe it? And act on it. Let not sin. Don't let, don't let it happen. Basically, what's this saying? Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Hurry, quick. Sixteen minutes. Here we go. Here's what he's saying. Look. First, he said, "Believe it. Believe this. You believe this is it. He's a, he's he's good. He's bad. He's powerless. He's all powerful. Then act like it. Act like it. Act like he's. There you go." You have no idea what kind of sermon he just preached right there. Who are you feeding in your life? The spirit or the flesh? Because which one you spend the most time with, he's going to win. If all you do is sit around and watch TV shows and watch soap operas and all them, uh, 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 what do you call them things, uh, real life shows or whatever you call it, Reality garbage. If that's all you ever do, you're going to start believing people cheating on him and this one sleeping with that one, that one done slept with that and this one having that one baby and all that kind of garbage. He's going to get stronger and stronger and stronger. And the more you keep hanging out with stuff, he's going to get way over here because God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You can't be feeding all that garbage and think he's going to be close to you. You know how I know I'm getting close to God? More stuff bothers me. 
More stuff bothers me. Listen, words that are said, things that are done, actions, something on Facebook that maybe maybe a, 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 an off-color joke or something, maybe didn't have no cuss words in it, but it was just enough that God said, really? If nothing bothers you, if no dirty words bother you, if no cuss words bother you, if no dirty joke, if all of the world stuff, it don't bother you, you watch that and it don't, you sure ain't close to him. I know which one you're feeding. And the one you're feeding is the one that's going to determine who's going to win. Because he don't want you to do right. He wants you to feed the flesh. All right? That makes sense? Y'all getting a lot of exercise tonight, ain't you? Amen. All right, hang tight. Come on, come on. Hang quick, quick. All right. All right, here we go. We got to act upon it. It's not enough. It's not enough merely to know our new position in Christ. We must, by faith, reckon it to be true in our lives. In other words, we got to believe it. We got to believe it in our own individual life. Reckoning is simply the step of faith that says, What God says about me in the Bible is now true. Say that with me. What God says about me in the Bible is now true in my life. Everybody read again like you, like you really believe it. What God says about me in my life, in the Bible, is now true in, in my life. It would help to read it. Amen? But I really believe it. Let's try that one more time. I was distracted by Buchanan. All right, here we go. What, why in God's name would anybody not want to get this? Isn't this fun studying the Bible? Man, you need to go tell everybody. They don't need to miss Wednesday night. I have more fun. I enjoy Wednesday night. Amen. Let's try it again. You ready? What God says about me in the Bible is now true in my life. I'm crucified with Christ. Reckoning is that step of faith that believes God's word and acts on it. Paul didn't tell his readers to feel it as if they were dead to sin. Y'all catch that? You ought to underline that. Paul did not tell his readers to feel as if they were dead to sin or even to understand it fully, because I don't really fully understand it, but to act on God's word and claim it for themselves. Reckoning is a matter of faith that issues in action. It is like endorsing a check. If we really believe that the money in the, is in the checking account, we will sign our name and collect the money. Reckoning is not claiming a promise, but acting on a fact. God does not command us to become dead to sin. He tells us that we are dead to sin and alive unto God, and then he commands us to act on it. Even if we do not act on it, the facts are still true. Amen? Now watch this. Number three, what do we do now? What was number one? Tell me number one back to me again. We see there is. Come on, everybody. Say it with me. Number one, there are facts to realize. Number two, there are faith to utilize. Number three, there are forfeiting to emphasize. In other words, there's something we got to do. All right, verse 13. Verse 13. Now, this is where it gets in the nitty-gritty. This is where issues take place and, 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 and we want to have a hiccup right here verse 13 neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and uh, your members as instruments of righteousness unto God for sin shall not have dominion over you for ye are not under the law but under grace you're not under law but under grace now Paul's first instruction to know, that has to do with the mind. There's some things you need to know in your mind. There's some truth you need to get because when you know the truth, it will make you free. So it has to do with your mind. Then the second thing we talked about was reckon. That focuses on our heart. That focuses on our heart. That's believing, believing in our heart. All right? The third instruction touches our will. This is where it gets tough. Our will. Amen? Now watch this. <coughs> Excuse me. I want you to see, A, the practice of yielding. The practice of yielding. Verse 13. If believers truly reckon themselves dead to sin, then they will prove their faith by yielding themselves to God. This is step three in the process of getting victory over the old nature, the flesh. Notice the stern, let not. Let not, in verse 12. 
This yielding is an act of our own will, a step of obedience to the Lord. It is not enough to know this wonderful doctrine or even to believe it. We must take the final step of yielding the members of our bodies to Christ. Brother Travis, Hebrews, uh, no, Romans 12 for me, Romans 12, 1. Uh, or even reckon it, we must, so first we have to know it, we have to believe it, then we have to act upon it. We have to step out, we have to yield. Now keep in mind that these three steps should represent a daily attitude of life. They are not emergency measures that are used when we face some special temptation. Isn't that the case sometimes? God, I need you, I need you, I need you. Why? Because I'm in trouble. Or is it, God, all right, we got a new day. What's, what do you want me to do today? Makes a big difference. Makes a big difference. Believers who spend time with the Word of God daily will know their position in Christ. They will have the faith to reckon themselves dead to sin and will be able to yield themselves to the indwelling spirit obtaining victory. All right, now watch this. All right, guys. All right, hold that. All right, now, as we learn this, the Holy Spirit is going to guide and he's going to teach and he's going to show stuff. Now, every day of our life that we wake up, Every day of our life that we wake up, how many of y'all want to live in victory? How many of y'all want to have the favor of God on your life? And have power and exciting and joy, all right? As, as he learns about what God is, who God is, what God has done for him, the, the, the mind of God, let this mind be in you, what, this is the mind of God. This is the mind of God. Let this mind, man, I never saw that. Let this mind be in you. So when we put this in us, let this mind be in us, all right? Then he's going to say, okay, this is what you need to do today. This is where you need to go today. This is who you need to witness to today. This is what you need to avoid today. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, if you say that way, Guess which way he's going to say? Where do you reckon he's going to lead you? Lead us not into. Where's he going to lead you to? Every time. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We can. Why be messing up? He's done so much for us and gave us a power and gave us a director. Does that make sense? So, we got to know it. Now, some of y'all don't have no excuse tonight because you know it now. You know it. You can't get to heaven and say, well, I didn't know I could have done that. I didn't know I had that power. You lying, and God will tell you you're lying because I told you, and now you know. Now, now you got to believe it. I'm just going to have to believe the Bible, ain't y'all? Let's just believe him. His word is true, everlasting to everlasting. It endures to all generations, the word of God. Now, so now we just got to submit. Okay, Brother Travis, like, like, a, like a sighted Baptist preacher, help us now. That means I beg you. Now, now read that again. Now listen closely, slowly. Listen closely to what he says, and then we're going to finish reading this chapter. That ye present, that means you submit yourself. Now, now what was he, what, did, what were we supposed to submit? What are we are to present? You remember that thing that's neutral? Are you going to use it for God? Or are you going to use it for the devil? Are you going to use it to do good? Or are you going to use it to sin? Which one are you going to be the servant of? You got to submit. Say, okay, God, here it is. God don't want you to die for him. He wants you to live for him. Present your bodies a 
Now, wait a minute. How can it be a living sacrifice? Sacrifice means you kill it. The only thing that's killed is your will. A sacrifice has no ability to do anything. It's there. It's, 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 that's what he's saying. Surrender to me. Watch this. Watch this. Look what the verses say. Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not to whom ye yield yourselves, surrender to, whether it be the Holy Spirit or the devil, or the flesh, the sin, the old man, whoever you yield yourselves servants to, this is verse 16, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. Now watch. Go ahead and sit down. Go ahead and sit down. All right, as we surrender to God, if we submit to him, say, okay, God, I want your will done in my life. I want to do what you'd have me do. I want to go where you'd have me to go. I want to say what you'd have me to say. Watch this. We see the practice of yielding, but then I want you to see the purpose of yielding. Why should we do this? He gives us some incentives in verses 14 through 23. Watch what he says in verse 14. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. Why should we yield to the Holy Spirit? Because of grace. God's grace. It is because of favor. Write that word down. Favor. God has given us favor and showed us grace. Number one, the purpose of yielding. It is because of God's grace that we yield ourselves to him. Paul has proved that we are not saved by the law and that we do not live under the law. The fact that we are saved by grace does not give us an excuse to sin, but it does give us a reason to obey. Man, we could be in hell today. We should be in hell today. But because of God's grace, we're free. We're forgiven. We're redeemed. Man, what other reason do we need to submit to him? Listen, sin and law go together. The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. Since we are not under the law but under grace, sin is robbed of its strength. Amen. Look in verse 16. Look in verse 16. Know ye not that to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether sin unto death or obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that we were servants of sin. There was a day, you remember how he was in the very beginning? He was being dragged around and pulled around. He was a servant. He was a slave. He was in bondage. He couldn't control himself. He couldn't help it. He couldn't break through. That's what we were. We were servants of sin. But ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you, being then made free. You remember when he cut him loose? Being made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. In other words, you began to follow the Holy Spirit. You were made servants of righteousness. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members servants to uncleanliness, there was a day when you followed sin, and iniquity unto iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants to righteousness unto holiness. So, the purpose of yielding, number one, because of the favor of God, because of our freedom. Write that down. Because of our freedom. The illustration of the master and the servant is obvious. Whatever you yield to, to becomes your master. Before you were saved, you were the slave of sin. Now that you belong to Christ, you are freed from that old slavery and made the servant of Christ. The unsaved person is free, free from righteousness. But his bondage to sin only leads him deeper into slavery so that it becomes harder and harder to do what is right. It's the same way with addiction. Listen, you get deeper and deeper and deeper. It has a stronger and stronger hold on you. It doesn't break free. It gets you deeper in trouble. Now, the prodigal son is an example of this. When he was at home, he decided he wanted his freedom. Didn't he? Prodigal son. He decided he wanted his freedom. So he left home to find himself and enjoy himself. But his rebellion only led him deeper into slavery. He was the slave of wrong desires, then the slave of wrong deeds. And finally, he became a slave when he took care of the pigs. He wanted to find himself, but he lost himself. What he thought was freedom turned out to be the worst kind of slavery, and sin will do it every time. It was only, hallelujah, hallelujah, it was only when he returned home and yielded to his father that he found true freedom. True freedom. Not only should we yield because of his favor, because of our freedom, but then because of the fruit. Look at it in verse 21. What fruit had ye then in those things wherein ye are now ashamed? In other words, when you was living in sin, what did you get out of it? What fruit did you have? What did you get out of it? For the end of those things is 
help me, is, but now being made free from sin and become the servants of God, you have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Read it all with me. Verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. If you serve a master, you can expect to receive a wage. Sin pays a wage. It's death. God also pays wages, holiness, and everlasting life. Amen. In the old life, we produce fruit that made us ashamed. In the new life in Christ, we produce fruit that glorifies God and brings joy to our life. We usually apply Romans 6.23 to the lost, and certainly it does apply, but it also has a warning for the saved. Uh, this, there is a sin unto death for the saved person. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. That's in 1 Corinthians when they were abusing the Lord's Supper, and they were, they were coming to church like they shouldn't, and God was killing them. Save people. You can leave this world early. If you get out and sin, don't make it right with God. And that's a whole other message, but trust me on that. If the believer refuses to surrender his body to the Lord, but uses its members for sinful purposes, then he is in danger of being disciplined by the Father, and this could mean death. Now, Hebrews 12, verse 5 through 11 is a good study on that. With that being said, and knowing this, these three instructions need to be heeded each day that we live. Know that you have been crucified with Christ and are dead to sin. Listen, the old man has no power over you. He has no power. He's been cut free. Reckon this fact to be true in your own life. In other words, believe it and act upon it. Then look at God and the Holy Spirit and say, God, whatever you want me to do, I'll do. Yield your body to the Lord to be used for his glory. Now that you know these truths, believe them, reckon them, and yield yourself to God. Listen, I can't do that for you. Every man has its own will. The preacher, I don't know if I can go that route. I guarantee it'll be the greatest thing you ever did. Because when you let God have his way in your life, you're going to have the favor of God in your life. You're going to have the power of God in your life. You're going to have the joy of the Lord. And you know what the Bible says about the joy of the Lord? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Man, leave here excited. Leave here believing that you are who God says you are. And God says you're a mighty warrior. You're powerful. You've been delivered. You're set free. Believe it. Act upon it. With any addiction you have, with any addiction you're fighting, Whatever you're struggling with, God's giving you power over it. Believe it. Walk out of here believing. Say amen, church. Amen. amen. We've got a quick announcement. We're in overtime, but I need Brother Jalen. Brother Jalen, come on up here real quick. What part of real quick did you uh, help us now? Your legs are shorter than mine, so I, uh, I don't know how to turn that on. Real scary. All right. Hey, he's got some great news. Great news today. Turn me on. There All we right. go. Um, you know, being here at the church every day, we have, you know, people call and they, you know, want to talk with people. And every every time a preacher's not available, and sometimes that's good, sometimes it's not. But what's awesome is when he's not available and we get an opportunity to help somebody else. Um Tonight we had a, a gentleman come in the, the office, and I've, unbeknownst to him, we thought he was supposed to be here yesterday. So we got all mixed up. So it kind of caught me off guard, but it was great. Just walked in, and, uh, you know, just, you know, as, as Christians, you, you always need to be ready because you never know when, when you're going to need to help somebody. But um, an hour and a half later, after that, he says, I tried to call all day and reschedule our appointment because uh, I just, you know, and it just so happened, it wasn't coincidence, but the phone's been messed up all day. So he tried to call all day to cancel, or not cancel, but reschedule. And then an hour, hour and a half later, we was down on our knees and he asked the Lord into his life. Amen. And he got saved. And uh, it's just uh, awesome. I mean, it's just amazing getting to see what God will do in, in people's lives. And, you know, I just challenge you as Christians, know your stuff yeah. because you never know when you're going to have to share with somebody what God has done for you and also what God can do for them too. So um, I just thank the Lord for that opportunity. And um, I, I praise the Lord that, that he gave me that chance, and not only for me but for that gentleman also. So I love you, brother, praying for you. Amen. 
Amen. Come on, give God praise and glory. Let's all stand. Everybody stand. Everybody stand. They're going to kill us out there. Amen. Five minutes overtime. We're going to pray and dismiss. Isn't the Lord good? All right. When we leave, y'all going to walk out of here and say, I'm a winner. I'm a winner. I don't care what the devil says. I'm a winner. Amen. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for an opportunity to study your word. Thank you for an opportunity to just, just spend time knowing truth and getting that truth in our hearts and let it strengthen our minds so that we can go out a victor, go out a, a winner, and go out more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. God, take this and use this for your glory as we yield to your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Good night, everybody.